Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. One of the most common questions that we get at Marriage Helper are from spouses who are asking, what can I do to show my spouse that I have changed and how can I get them to come back? People are asking us this question because we're so desperately wanting to do something to change where the marriage is headed, stop it in its tracks and bring that spouse back. But there are so many things that go into this that it's not just a simple pill or a quick sentence or a quick solution. It actually takes you first understanding some of the things that have perhaps pushed your spouse away and then beginning to change your behavior over a period of time for that to happen. This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International, hosted by renowned marriage and relationship expert, Dr. Joe Beam, and the CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Holmes. We answer your questions directly with research-based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. Be sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel and click the bell to be notified every time we release new content. If you have a relationship question, follow the link in the description to see which topic is up for discussion this week. We can't wait to answer your questions and have you join our community. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. So, Dr. Beam, how are we supposed to go about understanding how to bring our spouses back and show them that we have changed? Yeah, I wish we had a very short, simple answer to that with some magic words. And then you could go do the incantation and all of a sudden it works. But it's not that way. Kimberly Holmes, of course, is our CEO here at Marriage Helper. And as we talk about this, understand that typically marriage difficulties didn't occur overnight. It took a while for those things to develop. Now, can they happen that rapidly? Yes, occasionally they can. But the questions we'll be dealing with today from the callers that have called in are not situations that occurred instantaneously. Actually, those are very, very rare. But things that happen over a period of time. And that's what Kimberly just said. So remember these two things as we go through this. If you want to resolve a marriage issue, two words that you must remember and almost use as an incantation, if you will, would be consistency and time consistency and time. Kimberly, we talk a a lot in our workshop, for example, and we won't try to replicate all of that here, about uh, Sternberg's triangulation of love. Uh, Sternberg is a great researcher, researches in three or four major areas, one of which is what is love. And without having time to explain all of that, basically Sternberg, Dr. Sternberg says that love has three basic components. One is called intimacy, one is called passion, and one is called commitment. Now, let me define those very quickly, and then we're going to talk about them. Intimacy has to do with into me 
see. In other words, I can be open and transparent and vulnerable to you. And you can also be those same things to me, vulnerable, transparent. We build trust based on that. We open ourselves up to each other based on that. I feel accepted by you as I am, not as you wish me to be. And the same thing's happening the other way around. It's reciprocal between the two of us. Passion has to do with sex, of course, but it's a lot more than that. Sternberg defines it as being a craving for oneness. It's what I feel at any given moment. And the more intensely I feel, the more passion I think that I have or feel that I have. And the third one, commitment has to do with either something you evolve into, like one day you just sort of realize, wait a minute, we've developed a relationship where I really want to be here. Or it could be an actual decision that you make. Uh, I've decided I want to commit to being with you. And while in one sense, commitment can be made one time and then you live it the rest of your life. In another sense, it really is made on a daily basis because of the fact that life can change. Now, Kimberly, we do a great uh, deal. I spend a great little time in our workshops explaining that more than we can do here. But when we think about those things, uh, we tell people that, of those three, the one that can fade most rapidly would be passion. It can go away faster than the other two, but at the same time can often be rekindled faster than the other two. Those other two things take some time to do. Intimacy takes time to develop. And if it goes away, typically goes away slowly because each of you will reach a point where, well, actually can start with just one of you, where that you feel I can't be open. I can't be transparent. I can't be vulnerable. I'm not being accepted as I am anymore. And so that begins to fade away. Commitment typically does the same thing because I don't feel accepted. I don't feel loved. I don't feel I can be open and transparent. My commitment to you begins to ebb. It begins to fade away. Now, could either of those things change that fast? Yes, but typically they do not. And so they take a while to go away. Well, in that sense, Kimberly, based on what we tell people, if you're going to get them back, can it be done rapidly? Hmm. It cannot be done rapidly and definitely not as rapidly as many of our listeners are wanting it to be. <laughs> I know that many of you don't want to hear that, but we promise to always tell you the truth. The other thing I thought of as you were talking, though, was there's an assumption that intimacy and commitment were there in the relationship to begin with, or at least were there to the high, the, the high level. I, Joe knows what I mean when I say that. There's actually a model and a test you can take to measure your level in each of these. And you can see it on a triangle. And so you can actually begin to see, am I a one or a nine in commitment, a one or a nine in intimacy and all of those things. But if we're even gonna go back further, then if they didn't have that intimacy at first, if they didn't have the commitment at first, then it really doesn't change what they do because you still need to do the things that will lead to here's how to build intimacy and here's how to build commitment. And that ultimately is going to be what will attract your spouse to you. It would have been what would attracted them to you. It would have been what attracted them to you to begin with. But even if it wasn't there in large amounts, you still do those same, same things to attract them back to you now. So it's the same solution, but I just know there's going to be people who say, but what if we weren't committed? What if they weren't committed to me? Is it hopeless? What if we never had intimacy? Does that mean we can't get it? And the answer is there is hope. You just have to do what you said, consistency of these things over a long period of time to see the amazing results. Right. 
You understand that, and that's a good point, Kimberly, that in cultures where that there are arranged marriages, which means that uh, I actually met a couple of years ago, well, actually several years ago now, that did not ever see each other until after their wedding. They had never met. And based on the way that they married in their culture, uh, the bride was in one part of the building or house. They actually did it in a house, and he was in a different part of the house, and they never even saw each other until after they were married. So he's over here, she's over here in different rooms, the officiants here. And so they meet after they marry. Now, wow. we would say that that one didn't start with intimacy, commitment, and passion mm-hmm. because they don't even know each other. But in the cultures where arranged marriages exist, the divorce rate is actually much lower than in cultures such as ours in America, where people go through a dating process and wind up marrying. And so why is the divorce rate lower? Well, we can look at a lot of different factors, of course, but one of which would be that they do develop intimacy. They do develop commitment. And as a matter of fact, their commitment actually may exist even before they meet each other in the sense of their beliefs and values. And they do develop passion for each other. So you're right. Even if you think you had little of that before. Now, you may be thinking, though, well, I felt those things toward my spouse, but I don't think my spouse felt those things toward me. Then how do you develop that? How do you develop it? Well, we're going to go through that as we go through some calls today. But if I'm going to draw a triangle in the air here, okay, just kind of imagine this. And so we put intimacy at the top of the triangle and let's put uh, commitment over here and let's put passion over here. Now, in the middle, if they all develop into the middle, it's what's called consummate love. That's what Sternberg calls it. And so the more intimacy you have, the closer to the middle of that triangle you get in the sense of more, the closer to nine that you get, basically. Okay. Then the more intimacy, the more passion, the more commitment. And so if those things don't exist now, can they be rebuilt? And we're saying yes, but there's not a magic way to do it. It's going to be developing a relationship over time. Now, Kimberly, the questions we're about to listen to have to do with people, though, who had something before, but now they've lost it. Like my spouse doesn't trust me anymore. Uh, My spouse is still basing what he or she thinks of me over the way that I behaved before. And how can I show him or her that I've changed in these ways? So is that possible? Yes, it absolutely is possible. Some people may be listening to this and thinking, okay, I, I get that there's a, there's these three components of love intimacy, passion, and commitment, but still, how does that have to relate to showing them I've changed? That What do, what do I do? What we're going to be talking about as we answer these is we're going to show you, here's what you do as it relates to building intimacy, restoring passion, deciding to have commitment. And I believe on the front end, the commitment is just going to have to come from you. You're going to commit to doing this and to making it work because you can't force your spouse to stay committed or be committed to the relationship, but you're committing to do these things and, and watching how they work and staying the course. That's what you have to go into it with the mindset of right now. Exactly. And don't be expecting things from your spouse that he or she is not willing to give right now, because you might be wanting them. Well, I want them to open up and be transparent and vulnerable. And and how can I make them do that? Well, we recommend you don't try to make anyone do anything because that is what can backfire on you in major ways. So do we have a foolproof plan that if you do exactly what we tell you to do, it's a hundred percent guaranteed to work? No, 
Because as Kimberly said earlier, we won't lie to you. That's for those people out there that just want your money. <laughs> if you just say what I tell you to say, do what I tell you to do, then they're going to come back and they're going to love you the rest of their lives and want to have sex with you every day and all that kind of stuff. And you, as well as I, all know that that is hogwash from the deep south. That's a word for us back then, hogwash, which means it's ridiculous. We could use a, a more current term that still refers to the farm. It has to do with a certain animal, male animal. but. That's what it is. It's terrible advice. But we can show you what to do. So, Kimberly, let's go ahead and start into the calls so we can start dealing with this uh, in a way where we can deal with actual what people are actually facing, I should say. Great. Hi, Dr. Beam and Kimberly. Thanks for your yeoman's work for so many years. Uh, this is Donald from Switzerland. Your subject is right on the mark for me. My wife and I have been married for 30 plus years, but the relationship has become strained. We're effectively administrative associates together only for our four kids, ages 14 to 27. My wife says so. We're great partners. We've got the same goals, values, and morals, but she wants nothing more. No affection, no intimacy for over three years. We sleep in separate bedrooms. She says she has no feelings for me, says she's waiting for magic, but doesn't want counseling, won't attend the workshop. I'm like a new man in my behavior and attitudes after taking the Save My Marriage course. Pies and smart contact are always on my mind. Our kids say I've changed completely for the better, but my wife says she sees I'm trying to change, but it's not enough. She says she's been damaged, is in great pain, and can't get past it. I love her like crazy and want things to get back to normal or to a new normal instead of what once was, but I don't know what to do. Now, Joe, did he say what it was he did specifically that pushed her away? No, mm -hmm. I didn't think so. No, that she's been damaged, uh, that she says she's been damaged, and he's contributed to it. And apparently, based on his description, and of course, we're having a guess here. We don't have her to ask questions to. Apparently, she wants to hold on to that anger mm -hmm. in the sense of, you know, I, you've not changed enough, even though the kids are saying, wow, Dad, you've changed dramatically. You've not changed enough. You damaged me, and I'm waiting for magic. What do you think people are thinking about when they're waiting for magic, Kimberly? What do, what do you think that means to them? What a question. I think what they think is they, they want something to change without doing any work to change it. So they're wanting that quote unquote magic pill, that, that feeling of um, being with the right person, everything to just click automatically. It should be easy. And that's how we know it's right, which is wrong. I mean, that just isn't the way that relationships work. And it's not even the way the research shows that strong relationships occur. They don't just happen by chance or by magic without doing work to get them to, to be healthy and happy and strong. And so magic would be a sudden change that affects me emotionally, almost to the point of rapture. Like, oh yes, now I have everything I want. I feel all the things I want to feel. And, and if you want that kind of magic, you may find it in uh, illicit drug use. That's a possibility, but it's going to last hmm, about that long and going to wind up leading into all kinds of other troubles. 
Looking for magic is kind of a human thing. <laughs> like I want it to just happen and let it happen. Wonderful. I would experience, I would love to experience that. But if that happens like that, it's almost always chemical, even if it's not an illicit drug. So for example, if you walk by somebody you've never met before and all of a sudden you have a euphoria because of seeing him or her, that actually is called sometimes love at first sight. What it really is, is chemicals. It's, it has to do with chemicals in your brain that actually attract you to that person in a hurry. So magic has to do with chemicals, has to do with chemicals, either that you ingest or that your brain makes. Did that make any sense or am I making that more confusing? It makes total sense. The bottom line of it is you're not going to get it in your marriage. <laughs> no, you're not. Because even if there were that magic, somebody walks by and boom, the explosion of chemicals in your brain, that is exceptionally short-lived. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not a permanent thing. It's a temporary kind of thing. And, and so magic is not going to be the answer. But she's not listening to that right now. He's saying, I know I've changed. And we are administrative uh, assistants or something like that, administrative things together, at least that's how she says, meaning we're running a household, you have your role, I have my role, we have the children, but uh, I feel little to nothing for you. Hmm. Do you think, Kimberly, sometimes people, once they get hurt, will wall off another person so much, thinking that if I do that, you can't hurt me anymore, that they don't even pay attention to what the other person's doing anymore? Yes, Even further than that, I believe that once you decide, so there's a commitment happening here. It's not a good commitment on the wife's part, but she is committed to seeing the negative. And once she has decided he is this way because of this, that, or the other, then you're only going to see the, what you're looking for. What is that called in psychology? It's, it's not the focus illusion. Is it, is there, what's the term for it? We could call it that, but But I mean, yeah, it's the same thing that we learn about in psychology. When you're looking for one thing, that is what you will see because you're looking for it. You're biased in that way. Now, that's called a confirmation bias. That's it, confirmation bias. And and so I be, that sounds like what she is experiencing here. And then there's this other part of human behavior, which is this fear of forgiveness, this fear of, but if I forgive, you're going to just hurt me again. You're going to feel like it wasn't bad what you did. And you're going to think that it might be uh, an invitation to continue to do it again or do it in the future. And so we withhold forgiveness, which again, and when we look at the research, it is very clear that the couples who have higher levels of forgiveness in their relationship and forgive more often have the more satisfying relationships. Mm -hmm. So this is maybe a way to understand what is likely happening with your wife. Now, again, we haven't met her, so we're speculating based on what you told us. But, But if rather than increasing intimacy, so you're coming like to this thing where you have all these three, you know, passion, intimacy, and commitment. Actually, it sounds as if what your wife has done has gone just the other way around. If we were scoring on that scale of one to nine, she'd be down around the one. And what does that do? It means rather than being transparent, vulnerable, and open to you, I have closed you off. And why have I done that? Well, I only become open and transparent and vulnerable to people with whom I feel safe emotionally. And if I have decided that you are not safe emotionally, then I'm going to go the other direction and not let you see into me whatsoever. 
Commitment can do the other thing. It just can't really said. You get to a commitment, but it's actually a commitment to go the other direction. My commitment is to be free of you. My commitment is not to let you come back inside my head, inside my heart, those kinds of things. Now, we're making it sound as if then it's impossible, but that's not the case. No. The two magic words, well, they're not magic. The two key words to remember, consistency and time. You say, what do you mean? You see, the only way that another person can feel free to be open and transparent and vulnerable with you again is based on how you act and react around them. So if you, uh, rather than pushing, which is almost always what people do, they push, they whine, they plead, they beg, they try to make things happen. They try to coerce this. They try to arrange that situation, this circumstance, all kinds of things, thinking somehow it's going to make magic just convinces the other person to keep that much bigger or greater or stronger or wider or higher the wall. Like, uh uh-huh, you're trying to manipulate me. You're trying to control me. If you can become open or you can be transparent. Now, be careful about this. We're not talking about the fact where you're just laying on her anything you think or feel because you don't have that kind of relationship right now. But if you can be relaxed, if you can be you, be warm, friendly, kind, the best part of you you can be, then that encourages the possibility, even the likelihood, that she'll begin to do some of that with you. And if she gives you just an inch where she becomes a little bit open, a little bit transparent, don't jump on that. (laughs) Don't do anything to make sure you go, whoa, what's happening here? You listen, you become kind and calm, kinder and calmer. And and when she begins to be a little bit open and transparent, you listen to her as a friend. Because what has to happen here is that you have to rebuild the friendship. Now, don't worry about the commitment. Don't worry about the passion. Right now, the key is going to be helping her develop intimacy with you. Mm-hmm. Now, Kimberly, he mentioned the pies. Uh, First of all, if you'll explain very quickly to people in case they don't know what the pies are and how the E particularly helps in what we're talking about right now. Mm. The pies are what we refer to as the pies of attraction, and it is the first step of the love path. There's four steps to the love path. We teach about that in our workshop and our courses, but that first step is attraction, and attraction comes down to four areas, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. All of them are important, but when we're looking at building attraction in a relationship, being attracted to each other, being attractive towards your spouse, then the most important one for a long-term relationship is that emotional attraction. Because someone can be as physically beautiful or handsome and as intellectually smart and as spiritually grounded as they can, but if they still treat you like a jerk, then you still don't want to be around them. So emotional attraction is all about evoking emotions within others that they enjoy feeling so that they will want to be around you. And when you are focusing on that, it helps to build intimacy. Over time, it helps build passion. It can help build that commitment because we want to be committed to people that we like the way we feel when we are around them. That's an easier yes for us. And so that is how emotional attraction fits into what we're talking about here. But I'm going to take it out of the concept of marriage for just a minute and relate it, if you will, in a marketing term. So yes, my background's in psychology, but I also have a background in marketing. And one of the things that we learn as, as marketing or in marketing is that you want to provide valuable content to someone who's looking for it. So you want to give first. 
And then there's this concept of, and then you make a small ask and you allow that person to just give you their email address. And you're not going to try and, um, they call it in the marketing world, get ask them to marry you on the first date. You're going to simply ask them for coffee. And that that metaphor for asking them out for coffee after someone just gives you their phone number, so to say, is once they give you their email address, then you're going to give them something else of value. So there's this value-based way to engage and create a relationship with someone. And we can apply that to what we're talking about here because you give. So what what this question is all about is you give them something. You're doing the things that help evoke positive emotions within them. You are, you're doing it first. You're not expecting her to to give something back at this point. You're simply doing it because it's the best thing to do and it's the right thing to do for your relationship. And then once she starts responding, you're not taking it all the way to the highest level. You're not trying to push her to go and do something immediately with you right now. You're simply taking these small steps, these the next smallest step, the next small victory that you can to continue moving this relationship forward. It's not jumping into the deep end of a pool, not asking her to you know, so to say, marry you again. I know you're married now, but it's not moving all of that at one point. It's simply saying, how can I do the smallest next thing that's not going to push her away, but will help pull her towards me and will continue to show that I care for her without overwhelming her. So if you understand what we're saying, and I hope that you do, this is a process. (laughs) It's not going to happen rapidly. It's going to be a process where finally she can begin to trust you again and become a little bit open. Now, you said that she says she's been damaged, which means you did something, or at least she understands or perceives that you did something that hurt her. Hopefully, you've already figured out what that is. Hopefully, you understand what that is and that you have stopped doing that, because if you haven't, that's crucial. <laughs> Go back before anything we've just talked about and stop doing whatever that, whatever that is. And whenever she opens that door just a little bit, takes a little bit off that wall, lets you see a little bit about her, don't react too strongly. Just continue to listen. Be the kind, gentle person, just like Kimberly talked about, just a step at a time, a step at a time, and a step at a time. Because if you're going to rescue this, it has to be with stopping whatever you did that hurt her before, or at least that she perceived hurt her before. And then patiently, consistently with time, doing the right things where she can feel comfortable and opening up and talking to you. And the more that happens, and again, you've got to be very patient. The more that happens, the greater the likelihood you can put this thing back together. So there's no magic thing that I can all of a sudden blow the tuba and she sees that I'm perfect. It's not going to work. It's a process. You love her. She's worth the process. And the process is already working because your children are seeing it. They're seeing what you do. The fact that she's not seeing it yet, she's still hurt. So what's the answer? Consistency and time. Well, let's talk to another caller here. Hello, Kimberly and Dr. Joe Beam. Thank you very much for the opportunity. My name is Nalima. I'm calling from Sydney, Australia. I'm a big fan of Marriage Helper. Um, I've been watching all your videos and podcasts. Also, I've been working on pies. Um, I've also actually uh, taken a session with one of your coaches about three and a half months ago. Um, just only one session. Um, my husband left me about four months ago um, with his children. Uh, they're my stepkids. Um, 
uh, he doesn't want to reconcile and my stepchildren play a significant role in this separation. Um, uh, they are teenagers and uh, they just don't want to stay with me. Um, my husband doesn't want to uh, reconcile at all and he's not really quite open to counselling. I proposed him a couple of times, he refused. I've been working on pies, I think I'm doing great, uh, but still sometimes I become so vulnerable emotionally. Um, this is my second marriage. We do not have any common kids. No communication for last two and a half months. In the beginning, I did all these silly things, begging, pleading, but after watching videos, I stopped doing that. Uh, now, what is the next step for me? How do I show my husband that I've changed? She indicated in that question that there is an there's some kind of frustration, relationship issue with her and the stepchildren his children. Did you, did you interpret that as well? You know, I don't have very good hearing, even though I have my hearing aids turned wide open, so I couldn't catch all of that. Plus I get lost in that lovely uh, Australian <laughs> accent. <laughs> I miss, you know, I, I earned my PhD at the uh, university of Sydney in Australia and I miss that lovely Australian accent, but it, it appeared to me that what she said was that the children were left with her. Did I hear that incorrectly? I heard that the children are playing a large part in the separation and that she, and, and, and so if I heard that right, then that does add a layer here of, of uh, obstacle with the relationship, because one thing, let's just teach just for a minute on step families. One thing that we know to be true when step families blend together is that the children, in this case of the of the husband, his children, those are his blood children. And while the marriage relationship should be the most important relationship in a family unit, it becomes a little more difficult in, in interpreting that and living that out when your blood children have an issue or some kind of problem with the step parent, in this case, if there's an issue there with the stepmother. And so it can become kind of like you have to pick and choose. Do I go with my blood or do I go with my marriage, which should be important? And this is one of the reasons that step families and blending together face a unique set of circumstances that they have to overcome because they really have to become that team together and understand that these are my blood children. These are your blood children. I understand that I'm never going to be their full mother, their full father, but how can we respect each other and make sure everyone feels loved and valued in, in this relationship? And so if the children are causing, or the one saying, this isn't mom, you know, whatever that might be, I don't want you to be with her anymore. That's an added obstacle. Yes, and we would encourage you that if you're in a set family situation such as that, and I tend not to use the word blended family because sometimes they don't blend. I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So I typically refer to them as set families because of that, that it becomes the uh, the responsibility of the of the blood parent, if you will, the biological parent to let those children know, okay, I love you and I'm behind you in 100%, but... I'm not going to let you play a role where you come between me and my spouse. Now, uh, I'll never, ever abandon you. I'll never quit loving you. I'm always going to be on your side no matter what. But also, uh, don't take things out on her, in this particular case, the stepmother, because she is the one that I've chosen. 
But of course, that's what we would say to him, but we're not talking to him. <laughs> we're talking to her. So in the situation that she has, she says, okay, I've done the pies. I've done a little bit of coaching. I've done this. I've done that. And so what we would recommend then is this. Again, I, I've said this so many times. If we had a magic wand, I promise we would use it. We would just wave it and make everything wonderful. But those things do not exist. And so Kimberly, really, with this lady, even though the situation is made more difficult by the presence of teenage uh, children who apparently, based on how you heard it, are somehow involving themselves in causing this problem, it still comes back to the same principles. It does. I would add, though, that perhaps, depending on what the situation is like with the kids, to try and do the same things with those stepchildren. Because if that's the bigger obstacle right now, and there's something that's happened there, whether it's their perception or reality, I mean, these are teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's just how it is. It could have been that you have been amazing and great, but you're just not their mother. They've been hurt by the first divorce and they're taking that out. Whatever the situation is, do what you can to try and build intimacy with them. Try and ask them questions. Reach out that olive branch. Don't force yourself on them. Don't be overwhelming or overbearing, but make those small steps forward in trying to reconcile that relationship if it's possible. Sure. And as Kimberly just said, you can't make that happen by pushing. Okay, we're all going to play a game. You guys all sit down. Well, we don't want to do this. Well, you're going to do it anyway because we're going to bond. You don't do that kind of thing. That's not how you bond with people. And so how has intimacy developed? It's typically when another person starts feeling safe enough with you that he or she can start telling you things that they don't typically tell everybody because they are are afraid that maybe they'll be rejected for that. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, if you had a stepchild who at some point said to you, I just don't like you rather than reacting like, well, I'm your stepmother, whether you want me to be or not, or your dad loves me, therefore you're going to show me respect or whatever it might be, which just leads to an argument, which leads to alienation. If they say, I just don't like you, the response might be something like this. Well, I can understand that. But you know what? If, if you don't mind helping me, can you help me understand uh, why you don't like me? Is it something I'm doing, not doing? I'm, I'm open. I'm listening. And if they're convinced that you are not going to fight back and you're not going to chastise them. Now, the first words out of their mouth may actually be angry. They may start just throw things at you just to hurt you because they don't like you. If you can handle that, like. I can hear the hurt in your voice, and I'm so sorry that that hurt is there. If you can continue to be understanding, which (laughs) sounds like I'm asking you to be supernatural here, it is tough to do. It's hard not to defend yourself. It really is. But if you can do that and create a level, as Kimberly calls it, into uh, intimacy, into me see, And you might be thinking, well, I can't do that with all four of those kids because they're not all four letting me. I would start with the one that you think you have the best chance with, Mm -hmm. the one who will communicate with you and and just listen and try to understand and let them know that you're understanding. Don't fight. Don't correct. Don't chastise. Just do that. Now, the same principle is what we hope you can do with your husband. Mm -hmm. But as Kimberly said, if, if they if these children are part of the obstacle, then part of that comes with them. So Kimberly, what if somebody's listening here and saying, I've got stepkids and I don't want to have a relationship with them. Then how does that affect what happens next? 
I would say tough luck. Here's what I and here's what I mean by that. The stepkids are your spouse's children. They matter to your spouse more than likely. And therefore, it is important to respect that relationship and do what you can to at least be amicable. Even if there's bad blood, even if you just don't like being around them, you still need to do what you can to respect the relationship. You need to treat them with kindness. Do what you can to reach out with them. You don't have to be best friends with them, but you do have to at least respect them and 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 make sure that they can have a strong relationship with their their biological parent and not come in between that. Nothing will take away intimacy and emotional attraction and all of those things as quickly as telling your spouse, I don't want you to be around your kids. Mm -hmm. Or in any way of inserting yourself between the two of them in any shape, fashion or form, it's not going to pay off for you. Now you might be thinking, but you don't know these people. I mean, these are bad people. Well, some people on earth are bad people. And I do understand that, but your role here is not to be the parent of your spouse. (laughs) Your role here is to be the spouse of your spouse to be on his or her side to understand what he or she feels. And so what would we recommend you do next? Well, Kimberly, she said she started with one of our coaches. We would recommend that you continue with our coaches. So why don't you tell them how people can do that? You can find out more about our coaching going to marriagehelper.com. There's a tab at the top that says coaching. You can find out more. You can see our coaches. You can schedule a time. But the best way to use our coaching is to actually get packages. So we have packages of three. And the reason that that's more effective than a single session is because that's that first session is really where the coach is getting a lot of intake information. They're understanding you, your history, your background, what's going on. And they'll give you some quick takeaways at the end of things that you can immediately start doing. But the magic begins to happen with the accountability. Our coaches are not the same as counselors. Counselors spend a lot of time looking backwards and trying to help you understand the past and why things happened and comes to come to grips with it. Our coaches are future focused. So they're, they take a quick understanding of what has happened and how you got here, but then they're going to really hold you accountable and work with you as a coach by asking you questions and, and helping you change your behavior and actions to move forward in your situation and your relationship. And that's where the beauty of the, the consistency of sessions comes in. Because then you come in, you report back what you've been doing, how it's worked. The coach helps you course correct as needed. And that is where, that's where the real magic, that's the word, that is where the real beauty of coaching happens. Yeah, I'm happy you changed from the word magic there. You can't use that word. You've been saying against that word. Because it's not really magic, it's work. It really is work. Well, we've heard from Europe. We've heard from down under. Let's see what the next caller has to say here. Hello, you two. Thank you for letting me ask you this question. My name is Bobby DeSantis. I'm in the Tampa, Florida area. I've been married seven years to my bride. And back in December, she told me that she was moving out and that she was possibly going to be filing for divorce. Her complaint was lack of provision, that I wasn't a good provider. Although I have been working, I just haven't made enough. And she really needed a break. When I married her, she was a six-year stay-at-home, not stay-at-home, single mom. So um, I told her I would take care of her. And I think I broke her trust because she wanted me to give her a break and let her not have to work. 
I never did pursue that. I got active in church, and um, my church became my adulteress, serving in ministry. So she doesn't trust me anymore. Um, she's filed for divorce, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. She doesn't trust me, no matter how much I tell her that I've been working on myself or how much our friends are telling her that. She just doesn't trust me. Is there anything I can do to postpone this marriage, which is due in 10 days? Thank you. There's a couple of things here. Well, first of all, we finally heard from somebody in the good old U.S. of A. down in Florida here. And when you listen to what the gentleman had to say, first of all, I found it. uh, This is going to sound weird because I'm going to use a word that doesn't appear to fit in this context. I found it refreshing that he was uh, self-examining to the point of saying, wow, I even let my church become my, he called it adulterous. Now, most religious people uh, would react negatively to that. You can't say that about church. But if you understand the context in which he said it, he was just trying to say, I replaced my relationship with my wife with my relationship with my church. Rather than taking care of her, I took care of it. And, and I get that. I understand that. Now, a couple of things can happen. When people have a violation of expectation, they feel pain. And the expectation that was set here was based on a promise that he made that I'm not sure he could have kept. That she said, you know, okay, I've been this working single mom for six years. I, I want to be able to back off. I want somebody to take care of me for a while. Let me be the mom I'm supposed to be. Maybe stay at home, those kinds of things. And he told her that he would do that for her. Now, whenever you make a promise to somebody that you're not sure you could fulfill, because what I heard him say was he he's worked. That's not been the problem, but he hasn't made enough money. And I don't know if that means because of the fact that they live a lavish lifestyle or if he just couldn't find jobs that paid very much or that the wife was spending money she shouldn't have been spending. We don't know any of the details here. He took responsibility. He just said, I couldn't make enough to do what I promised to do. And and she was hurt by that. We call that a violation of expectations. Violation of expectations leads to pain. Pain leads to anger. Like you promised me this. I was looking forward to this. This is what I expected to occur. And it didn't happen. And then rather than you see being understanding and focusing on my, on my child and me, you focused on the church instead, paid more attention to it. And I felt that not only were my expectations violated, but a violation of trust because I trusted you to be my husband, paying attention to me and helping me with my needs. And I feel that I've been neglected, leading to more pain. And pain leads to anger. I'm hurt. And so now, now what we hear are manifestations of anger. Now, did she have unrealistic expectations? I don't know, because we don't know what she was expecting. But based on what he's saying, this is why she's mad. This is why she's hurt. This is why she wants nothing to do with me, why she doesn't trust me anymore. So thank you, first of all, young man, for being honest about your failings in this. Now, let me, before we go further on this, Kimberly, let me just say to anybody else out there, if you're going to make a promise, whatever the promise may be, you really need to think it through ahead of time and see if indeed you can fulfill that promise because people start counting on that. I mean, when you make a promise and it's something that they really, really want, it becomes a big deal to them. And if that does not come through, then they're hurt. So be careful with what you promise. Now, back to the situation. She's not listening, Kimberly, to anything the friends say about his changes and those kinds of things. You think that's because of the fact that she's probably just so hurt and angry? 
that's a very good possibility. Like we talked about earlier, it's that confirmation bias, but also our hurt and our pain can lead that. It can guide us in, in what our confirmation biases are. And especially when there's been a breach of trust, that affects it even more. Well, he may be doing it now, but it's just to get me back. And then things are just going to go back to how they were. And that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. So is this a situation then that we would say is hopeless? No, absolutely not. However, I would say the first thing that needs to happen, as you have said, is a reevaluation of can he uphold those things? And then there should be an apology, I would assume, at some point of, I know that I said this to you, and then not justifying why it didn't happen, but an apology to say, I'm sorry for not meeting those expectations. And then asking her, is there anything I can do? What can I do to help rebuild that trust? And then depending on what she says, it may be something you can do. It may not. Don't just agree to whatever it is because you'll be back in the same situation. Uh, realize what's what's honest, what's able on your part to be able to do, and then have the conversation to try and rebuild it in that way. But the main thing in a forgiveness and apologies is not that you defend yourself, but that you make sure that the other person feels that you understand their pain and where they are coming from. And that is how forgiveness can begin to happen. Now, that's really powerful. So therefore, if he were to say, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't provide the lifestyle that you wanted, but, you know, you, you demanded too much. That just basically says he's not taking responsibility. But, you know, I could have gotten a better job, but I really wanted to do this instead. In other words, if you blame it on anything else mm -hmm. other than just saying, I made a promise to you that I couldn't fulfill. I would not go into any further explanation unless she wanted to talk about further things. Because when you appear to lay it off on something or someone else, people hear it as, you don't really feel responsibility for this. You're not taking responsibility for this. Now, will that be a magic thing that makes this thing work? No, but that can, and if you're thinking right now, but I've already done that. I've already told her I'm sorry that I let her down. Okay, then don't repetitively do that. Mm -hmm. now, what I mean by that is you can actually program the other person to think you're no good. If you keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, after a while they think you really are, you're just sorry. And I don't mean in the sense of apologetic, I mean, in the sense of being no good. And so if she brings it up again, or it comes up again, just say, you know, I've learned, and I'm glad I had a chance to learn that lesson, or boy, things will never be like that again, or which basically give an acknowledgement. Yes, I, I didn't do what I said I was going to do, but without repetitively tearing yourself down by talking about how bad you are, how you let her down, so forth and so on. And, and that's actually a very powerful thing to do. Kimberly, we're almost out of time. Can we take just one more call very quickly here? Let's do it. Hello, my name is Paul, and I'm calling in regards to my wife of 25 years. She is leaving after a 25-year marriage because I believe she is dealing with some deep-seated emotional trauma from her past and some of my behaviors that have been controlling over the years. I recognize those things, and thanks to the Marriage Helper course, I've been able to identify several things that I need to work on, and I'm working towards those things as part of my pies, as well as part of my emotional growth and development. Are there additional things I can do to assist my wife in dealing with her emotional trauma of the past, being supportive without being controlled or controlling? 
First of all, thank you for accepting responsibility for your own behavior. I said that about the previous caller. I'll say that with you as well. It's so much easier to help people when they can admit their own flaws and say, okay, I did this wrong. And not just to learn from those flaws, but to change and not do those kinds of things again. Now, you do understand if she's dealing with things from her past, trauma from earlier in her past that had been exacerbated by the fact that you were controlling, you certainly can change your controlling. You can you can be what we call egalitarian, where the, you treat each other as equals, and you can make that happen. But you, in all likelihood, will not be able to help her overcome her past. And so I hope that she would be willing to see somebody who can do that. Now, if you tell her that, like, okay, you need to go see somebody about this, and she already perceives you as being controlling, guess what? <laughs> she's going to perceive that as being controlling as well. But if somehow you can have a conversation with her where you can say, I, I care about you deeply. I see how I've contributed to your pain. How can I help you find someone to help you deal with your pain? And if she says, oh, you're just trying to trick me into staying, then, then if you can honestly say this and don't lie, lies come back and bite you. And you can say, well, actually, I would love to save the marriage. But right now, my biggest goal is to help you overcome the pain from your past. Now, don't tell her that if that's not true. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. What if she overcomes her pain from her past and decides she doesn't want to be with me? It's still the right thing to do. Now, we're all for saving marriages, and we want to help you save your marriage. We really do. But the right thing to do here. Now, Kimberly said that counselors help people by looking into things in the past, and that's where they have a really good training, and that's what they typically are really good at doing. I would ask her, uh, if you deal with this, would you deal with somebody who can help you deal with the trauma from your past and not so much with the marriage? Because you don't want some kind of a counselor out there blaming you for all of this. If it's some counselor that can help her deal with whatever that original trauma was. And therefore I would suggest if you're going to find a counselor, ask around, ask about, you know, what experience have you had? And maybe even you and your wife together, or maybe just your wife, if she doesn't want you involved in this, would talk to the counselor on the phone a couple of minutes before the first session, before you even book the first session saying, okay, I really just want to help. I want help to deal with the trauma from my past. Uh, I'm not really looking to solve my marriage problems right here and get a counselor to do that. Then that's good for her. Now, as I said earlier, it's possible that then she would say, well, now that I'm healed from that, I don't want to be with you anymore. That's possible. And I know that's somewhat scary, but at the same time, remember what I said just a moment ago, it's the right thing to do. And if she doesn't find the right kind of help, and God forbid she find the wrong ones, but if she doesn't find the right kind of help to help her deal with that trauma from her past, then it's going to continue to be a problem. <laughs> the briar stuck into the side of your marriage, and, and you apparently have contributed to it, you said, by being controlling. And I hope you've learned better and you've changed from that dramatically. But but somehow dealing with that first. Now, Kimberly, you're the one who uh, has the master's degree in psychology and working on your PhD in psychology. My PhD is in a different area, having to do with marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. So am I off base here, Miss Psychologist? No, but if I can just geek out on the neuroscience of it just a little bit, all of that is exactly correct. If she is experiencing a trauma, which trauma and its basic definition is the feeling of being overwhelmed and powerless to do anything about it. 
So there is big T trauma as they, as they like to call it. These are things like rape, um, national disasters, large things that are clearly going to war. These are things that are clearly going to leave a traumatic impact, but there's also what's known as a little T trauma. And this could be seeing your parents fight a lot as a kid, um, uh, being bullied as a child, I mean, a lot of things, but a lot of it is going to go back to things you experienced under the age of 10. Hmm. And what actually happens is that there, if you want to think of it this way, there's an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain, or as Freud would like to say it, there's your conscious and there's your subconscious and there's your unconscious. And so there are things that because of experiences in our past that we felt powerless to do anything about, but overwhelmed by it to the sense that it, that we felt it was going to affect our safety and our brains went into this fight or flight response, then we can get stuck there. And we may not be really conscious of what exactly has led us to be stuck there, but, but things that pop up now in adulthood that trigger that elicit a response within us. So the reason to go to a counselor and get help for this, especially EMDR specifically in this situation, which stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, it starts to access that unconscious part of your brain, that downstairs brain that is triggered by this trauma, not necessarily so that you will have an aha moment of why it happened and how you feel, but actually that process desensitizes you to the reaction of it. And it helps you to be able to move forward without feeling so stuck in the past. And that's all research-based. It's been around for decades you have to find a counselor who's qualified and has been trained in how to do it, but it's very effective in being able to move past and forward from it. And I would say, while your wife may decide she doesn't want to be with you, I would think going back to emotional attraction and the things we've been talking about, if you encourage your wife to do that and support her in that, and you become that person who, if it's been a difficult day for her in therapy, and maybe you're the only person she feels like she can come and talk to, then at the end of it, you will have built an emotional connection. You will have shown that intimacy towards her. And that's going to be more attractive in her wanting to come back than if she had not gotten help and is staying stuck where she is now. Excellent. So how would they find somebody who is uh, experienced and effective with EMDR? Yeah, one of the best places to start is going on Google, typing in EMDR, counselors, and then your area. But don't just stop there. Go and look at reviews. Go and look at their bio, their profile. Um, Make sure, I mean, even if it comes to which gender you want, their age, I I would pick someone who looks like they would be more experienced in doing this. And so, and and then ask people. I mean, call the office, just like you said, Joe. Call the office, see if you can just speak with them for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Really make sure you're picking a good person. Now, the benefit about EMDR is that they really should stay very focused on a script. Like there is just a process you do to do EMDR. So they shouldn't be asking, how do you feel about your marriage? Other than just the intake form. They shouldn't be vilifying the spouse. That's not how you do EMDR. So you just really want to make sure you find someone good, but look at, look at reviews, look at how long they've been doing it. Those are the best things to do. Excellent. Okay. Kimberly, you usually summarize at the end. We've been going for, mm, wow, almost an hour here. We're just about 10 minutes short of an hour. And so why don't you see if you can summarize all this? 
Here are the key takeaways from how to show your spouse that you have changed and hopefully attract them back to you. The first thing we talked about is that to really understand how to attract a person back to you, it's helpful to understand what love is. It's comprised of three things, commitment, intimacy, and passion. Passion is the quickest to fade, the quickest to grow. It's the it's the finicky one of the of them because it can change more over time. But right. the two that really make a difference right now for all of us and all of you listening to the podcast is how do you build commitment and how do you build intimacy? At first, you're going to build commitment by committing yourself to doing the things that will help bring your spouse back. The things we teach at Marriage Helper, the things we talked about in this podcast. So you commit to being consistent and doing these things for a over a period of time. That is the best way to build commitment. And then for intimacy, that's what you really want to start focusing your actions on. So how can you build intimacy? First is make small steps towards positive connection and communication. So the small things that you can do, the how was your day, just listening to the small bits that you can, those really help to start building that intimacy, but you can also work on doing things to become more emotionally attractive. So ask yourself the question, how can I evoke emotions within others that they enjoy feeling? How can I evoke emotions within my spouse, my husband and my wife that they enjoy feeling? And automatically when people hear that question, they begin to course correct themselves. Oh, I I know things that I have been doing that have definitely been pushing them away and not evoking good, good emotions. And I know some things that I can start doing. You can always go back to that because it's something you have control over. Your behaviors and your actions are the only thing you have control over. And then the final part is to stop doing the things that have led to this disconnection in your relationship and start doing the things that will lead to rebuilding love, rebuilding commitment, intimacy, and passion, but you start by doing the small steps. Excellent. Great summary. And if you want to know more about what we do, you can go to our website at Marriage Helper. That's Marriage Helper. You are MarriageHelper.com. Find all kinds of things there. And we have hundreds of videos on YouTube. So you go to YouTube.com uh, slash Marriage Helper, all one long word. You can find hundreds and hundreds of videos there that we have done that about all kinds of things about marriage. Be sure to subscribe so that uh, it helps us actually help other people because the more people People who subscribe, the more people who find us, then we can help them. So you can help us help others if you do that. And if you're listening on podcasts, be sure to follow us and subscribe to us on whatever podcast service you're in. And please leave us a review. That is the best compliment that you could give this show. And it helps us, again, to reach more people so that more people can find great advice and information on how to save their marriages. Thank you for being part of Relationship Radio, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses, marriage workshops, and coaching. If you have a question you want to ask Dr. Beam and Kimberly Holmes, follow the link to see which topic is currently up for discussion. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio. Relationship Radio.